Uh, this morning we touched on a subject that I was going to kind of touch on tonight. And I wanted to go back to it before we got to the message tonight. And what I wanted to go back to was the understanding of the last days. Okay? N number one, this is not a sermon on uh, eschatology. Okay? I'm not doing an eschatological sermon right now. Okay? I couldn't spell it if I wanted to, and I can barely say it. Okay? What I am going to talk about is we have fundamental ideas that the last days when we read these scriptures is some far off time, okay? Like this is some future event. But as we read this morning, the last days started when Jesus came the first time, amen? The last days began at the advent of Christ. Amen? And they will wrap up at his second coming. That will be the end of the last days. Amen? Now, when we hear the term last days, and I don't know about you, we always think future events. Amen? We always do. Now, I wanted to go back and reread the verses that we read this morning about this subject in their uh, context, so to speak. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Excuse me. This pulpit's a little smaller than the one on stage. Acts chapter 2. No, 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 no. We don't need to bring that down. Uh, we're going to start at verse 14 just for context, okay? But Peter, standing with the eleven, this is verse 14, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for those people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? In the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on the male servants and the female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, let's continue reading this, okay? Because I'm going to try to show you something in here, okay? And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, de the terrible day of the Lord comes and great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to take the Bible for what it says. Peter said, this is that. Right? So, we're not waiting 
for some future outpouring. It happened. You understand? It's here. The Holy Spirit was inaugurated onto this earth the day that they were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit didn't somehow mysteriously vaporize and go back to heaven and we're waiting on some other outpouring. It's happened. It's here. Amen. We don't have to wait on the Holy Ghost. He's with us. Amen. That's not where I'm going with this whole thing, but what I wanted to talk about was the fact that Peter said, this is that day. Notice the, the prophecy in Joel says, in the last days it shall be. Right? And we always think the last days, well, that's far off thing. No, the last days started when Jesus came to this earth. We, it began. There's a criticism about Jesus before he went to the cross. That it, in uh, the beginning of Matthew, the beginning of Luke, it's told that he was preaching the gospel. And they're like, how can Jesus have been preaching the gospel? Uh, he, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. Well, they prophesied Jesus would be born way before he was. You don't have a problem with that. Jesus was just telling them of the covenant that he was bringing to pass. Amen? So he could preach the gospel because he was the gospel, first of all. The gospel is Christ and what he was going to do for us. Amen? That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The good news is what? I'm a desperate, no good sinner that was separated by sin from God. I couldn't have any, I didn't have any hope of getting to God. I had no hope of becoming good enough to reach God, and the good news is that Jesus paid the price for my sin. He brought me and God back into fellowship by his blood. Now I can come boldly before the throne of grace by a new and living way, the Bible says, right? Why couldn't Jesus preach the gospel before he went to the cross? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Just think about that. Well, he couldn't do that. He hadn't went to the cross. He's God. Can he not talk about what he's going to do before he does it? Or is that not what all of the Old Testament was about? Didn't Jesus say the law and the prophets testify of me? Isn't that what he said? Guess who gave the law and the prophets to Israel? Jesus. Because he's the word made flesh. I want you to wrap your minds around this. We always talk about Jesus being the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the same was with God in the beginning. And all things were made by Him. And nothing is made that is made except it was made by Him. The reality is this. Every time in the Old Testament when you hear God said, it's the Son of God. So from the burning bush, capital letters, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses from the midst of the burning bush was Jesus. Jesus gave Moses the commandments. Jesus gave Moses the law 
Why? Because it was a type and a shadow. It was to reveal sin. It was to reveal that humanity utterly needed Jesus Christ. Period. The entire Bible was a testimony of what God was going to do. And then Jesus came. Amen? So that's where I wanted to start with this, okay? We're in the last time. And, and I want you to wrap your mind around this. Go with me again to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Now this is marvelous when you, when you start linking this stuff together and realizing that the last days is not... Now, don't get me wrong. There's stuff for the last days that hasn't happened yet. Okay? There's some stuff being restrained. We'll get to that, right? But the reality is we're there. We're in the last days. We're that generation. Peter said so. He said, this is it. This is us. This is happening. Amen? We're not waiting on some last days thing to happen. Last days was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. We realize we're in the last days. Amen? Everybody goes, man, 2,000 years is a long time to be in the last days. Is it? God's eternal. It don't mean anything to him. A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. It don't matter to God at all. Time frame, okay? Let's go to Hebrews 1. What did I say? Verse, what verse did I say? 2. We'll read verse 1 just for context purposes. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow. Having become as much superior to angels as, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Did you see how that started? In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Amen. Let's go one more time to First uh, Peter chapter 1. So if you're in Hebrews, just flip a couple more books, cruise past James, get to First Peter, I believe it's verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world was but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Are you seeing it again? See, how it's not a future event right here. He's talking about right now, right? Jesus was revealed in these last days to us. Amen. Mine says times. What does King James say, Mike? Times? Okay. Let's go to 1 John chapter 
two. So keep turning backwards, backwards. Keep going backwards in your Bible. First John chapter two, verse eighteen. Children, in it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is come, and now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. What does yours say? Hour? Time. Last time. Last days. The last hour. It's all the same. Reality check. Let's go back. Let's keep going. Go back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. You should know where I'm going now, okay? We've tied five verses so far to the last days, last times, last hour, right? Now I'm going to tie this verse in here. Man, somebody moved Timothy in my Bible. Yeah, there we go. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come difficult times. For people will be lovers of their self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, I've preached on this over and over and over about what the power of God here is talking about, and it's not the power of God in the altar call or or, or the power of God in the working of miracles or laying on of hands. Because if you keep reading chapter 3, he's talking about the word of God and the gospel. And he continues that in chapter 4. Matter of fact, chapter uh, 3 ends with all scripture as God breathes, right? And then it, chapter 4 begins, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead by his, uh, at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Amen. The context of all of chapter 3, the context of all of chapter 4, i.e. the context of Timothy's letter, the second letter to Timothy, was to preserve the gospel in its entirety. That's what Paul was writing Timothy for, to, to rebuke false teachers and to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his, that was his goal, that was his aim in writing this letter to Timothy. Amen. So the power of God, I'm going to give it to you like this. Romans chapter 1 says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all that believe, first unto the Jew and then to the Gentile. Amen. The power of God is the gospel. The power of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ that turns a wayward sinner into a loving saint who is now in God's family. Because when I'm not in God's family, I am by nature a child of wrath and an enemy of God. And I do not, cannot live my life for God. The greatest miracle that ever happens is salvation. 
period, hands down. It's the only miracle that is eternal. Every other miracle is temporary. All the miracles that we saw in Scripture, over and over it was said that this was done that they might believe. A miracle should make you believe. That's the purpose of a miracle. Not just for physical satisfaction because if God was just in the uh, 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 idea of meeting our physical needs and that gives him some kind of pleasure, why in the world would he let the apostles go and get killed, every one of them, physically? See how that doesn't line up with modern evangelical Christian doctrine? We just don't want to think that God would let me suffer. We don't want to think that God might have a plan in my suffering. We don't, we don't think that God might be trying to get some things out of me by my suffering that it would cause me to go deeper in prayer, cause me to go deeper in faith, cause me to go deeper in believing his word and being conformed into the image of Christ. We don't think that way. We just want our stuff. Amen? It's important for us to understand God looks at things with an eternal lens. Which is why Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust can eat away at it and where thieves can break in and steal. He said, instead, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in to steal. Because our life is temporary on this planet. And I know there's a school of thought that, you know, the end times is going to come down here and heaven's going to be on earth. And that's all true. But there's never going to be a moment. Even if I died right now preaching this message, there will never be a moment that I would be out of heaven. Heaven is going to come down to this earth. That's true. Roman, or Revelation chapter 21, 22, right? We get it. We understand that. That's as deep as my eschatology goes, okay? I believe this. This is my eschatology right now. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I'll be with him forever. That's my eschatology. <laughs> Amen? That's simplified. That's what's going to happen. And whether that's in an ethereal, heavenly home up in heaven or when heaven comes down to earth, it's still going to be heaven either way. Either way, it's still going to be heaven. New Jerusalem. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. It's all going to be the same because we're going to be in the presence of God. Amen? That's my hope. That's what we should look forward to. But we should not assume that somehow the last days mean something that's way far out there. Amen? We're in those last days. I don't know about you, but I can't read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and not help but think we live in that day where men are lovers of their own self, boastful, proud, heavy, haughty, high-minded, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, abusive, the, the one that really sticks out to me, unappeasable, the ESV says, unappeasable. You see what's going on in our culture today? We can't appease anybody. It doesn't matter if you tell them, hey, I'm sorry, I'm 
you know, oh, we know what happened here, and we're, we're sorry. Yeah, it doesn't please them. All they want is to destroy you. All they want is to destroy truth. All they want to do is to destroy God, anything that looks like God. We talked about this morning how the world, how the, the enemy, how this present age are just attacking the marriage covenant of God in any way that they can. They're attacking it with, with uh, gender neutrality. They're attacking it with, with uh, uh, homosexuality and saying that that's godly too. Do you guys believe that there's actually people that say union between a man and a, another man is holy? That's what they're saying, okay? Words out of their own mouth, even though God calls it an abomination. Matter of fact, we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 6 and then in Galatians 5 where it says that Anybody that does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we live in a day and an age where we're teaching, not us particularly, but there are so-called, and I'm using quotation marks, so-called churches teaching that that's okay. We can't do that. Amen. Which kind of leads me into what I was going to talk about tonight, which is, are you ready? <laughs> Amen. We got to be ready, right? Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 25, and I'm not. I'm going to try not to read it all. <laughs> Amen. I just want to kind of talk about it tonight. Jesus tells three parables, or two parables, and then a, 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 a third. He tells. The parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. And then he tells the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. And then he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Now I want to give you an understanding that we read this morning that there were some things being held back for the very, very last of the last days, okay? There's some stuff being held back, Paul said. We're going to talk about judgment because every single person, and there's people on Facebook that are watching this, there was people in the room this morning that it hurt this and I'm going to say it again every one of us is going to die every single one of us will die period and we will all give an account of our life and either we're going to give an account based on our works or we're going to give an account based on what Jesus did for me and the work that he did to secure me. You understand? Notice in Matthew 7 when Jesus said, not everyone that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they that do the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
He said, in that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and he will look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. They're going to say to him, Lord, do we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he said, I will look at them plainly and say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. The understanding is this. My merit, what I do, what I, the work I do doesn't earn my spot in heaven. What I do can never pay the price for my sin. It doesn't take, it, 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 look, you can get a head knowledge about Jesus and you can begin to try to live your life step by step trying to live your life good enough for Christ. The reality is you can live as good as you want, but if you don't know him, it doesn't matter. He said, I looked at them plainly. These people, first of all, they called him Lord. They thought they knew him. They thought they had the gospel figured out. Did we not prophesy in your name? So, prophecy doesn't save. Did we not cast out devils in your name? So, miracles won't save you. Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? So what? Works won't save you. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that has entered the world. They that believe are not condemned. And they that do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's only one reason anybody goes to hell. They reject Jesus Christ. They're getting what they deserve. And anybody that goes to heaven is not getting what they deserve. They're getting mercy. And grace because none of us deserve heaven amen now we could get into some deep theological waters on election and God calling us and we could do that but that isn't what we're talking about here we're talking about being ready I'll say this people say I don't believe in election well, just tear out about half of your New Testament then because that's about how much of it talks about election. John chapter 14, you got to throw it away. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that, Remember that chapter? In that same chapter, Jesus tells them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And all that the Father will give me will come unto me. Uh-oh. Election. Tear that chapter out of the Bible. It's all kinds of them. John 6, John 10, Hebrews. Pick a chapter. <laughs> we got to understand that God plays a role 
in his creation. Most Christians nowadays have this lofty idea that God is up in the heavens just kind of letting things unfold. But the Bible teaches something very different. That God is intimately involved in all of the things going on in the world. Did Paul not say that he lifts one nation up and puts another nation down? Didn't the prophets say that? Didn't Paul also say that God had called him, predestined him beforehand, knew who he was, right? We don't like that kind of talk because we like being in control. Election is most assuredly in the Bible, most assuredly taught in the Bible. It's over and over and over and over, and we can't change that. Amen? I fought against that, fought against the idea of it. But when you study, I remember, I remember when I was 21 years old, 22 years old, probably been preaching for about four years, I told a guy, election ain't even in the Bible. I don't know where you get that stuff from. And then I researched it. And I found out very quickly that election was all throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, there's if you have a Strong's Concordance, I dare you to go home and just open your Strong's Concordance and look up three words. Elect, election, just two words, I guess. Elect, election, and uh, elected and you'll find page after page of those words in the New Testament over and over and over we see evidence of God electing Noah we see evidence of God choosing Abraham he chose Abraham out of all of the other people on the whole planet he said I want you, and you're going to be my people. Nobody else was his people. Do you realize that as Gentiles, if we were still under the old covenant, we could not be God's people? Because God had a specific set of people that he chose out of all the earth. And, it, you know, some people say, well, they were the most holy people. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far. Over and over in the New Testament, they abandon God. Over and over in the New Testament, they run away from God. Over and over in the New Testament, they hoard themselves out to the nation. Those are God's own words about his beloved people. Amen? That just goes back to show you that God doesn't pick people because of how great they are. God doesn't choose a person because of the goodness that's in them. God chooses people because of the goodness of God. Amen? So here we're going to get into a little scripture here about the judgment. I'm going to read it and I'm going to expound upon it for just a minute and then we will dismiss it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, this is verse 31, Matthew chapter 25, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered 
all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say unto those on his right, Come unto me, uh, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to answer them. Truly, I say unto you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not come and visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say unto you, you did not do it to one of the least of these. You have not done it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, there's been a lot of stories made up over this, and there's been a lot of doctrine made up over this parable that Jesus is telling right here. And some people go, well, that basically says the works, doesn't it, Pastor? It says works. It says, you know, the works that they did. Uh, that uh, got them in and the works that the other people didn't do that got them thrown out nope it's not what got thrown out that is not what got them thrown out it's not the fact is you can do all the works on this side the good side the right hand side excuse me you can do all the works on the good side the righteous side but if your heart is only to get glory for yourself You've got the wrong motivation. You've got to see these people didn't even realize they were ministering to Jesus. Their heart was just to help people. They didn't want to get credit for it. They didn't want to get, they didn't want to get fame for it. They didn't want to get applause from Christ for it. They didn't do it to earn their way to heaven. They didn't even realize they were ministering to Christ. Because their hearts changed. This was the born-again people. There's a lot of people in churches right now, but I would beg to differ that there is a bunch of born-again people. Born-again is different. Jesus said we must be born-again. What does that mean, Pastor? What does it mean to be born-again? Any man that be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Amen? Salvation is absolutely free, but salvation changes you. You are made anew. You have been, you have been taken from darkness into light. Paul, or was it Paul? It was John. No, it was, it was Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. He said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do the children of God have with Belial? Amen? John tells us, love not the world or the things of the world, because the world and its desires are passing away. Amen? We've got to be ready. That's what this is teaching us. It's teaching us that our hearts have got to be in the right spot. Jesus, over and over in Matthew, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, taught us that when we pray, we're not even to go and pray publicly and with great words and beat our chests like the publicans do to be seen of men. He said, but when you pray, go to your closet. Pray in secret. And your Father, which sees what's done in secret, will reward you openly. Amen. This parable is telling us that we need to be ready. It's, a, it's mirroring the other two parables that was before it. Ten virgins, five of them had their lamps trimmed, five of them had enough oil, and the other five didn't have their lamps trimmed, and they didn't have enough oil. They weren't ready. Then we have the, the parable of the talents. One was given one talent, another was given uh, three talents, another was given five talents, right? And, and the one who had one, he buried it because he knew his master was a hard man who did not, uh, who reaped where he did not sow, who gathered where he had not planted, right? Basically, he did nothing with the gift that was given to him. I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of those Christians on the day, and I'm, I, I use that term very loosely, there's going to be a lot of people who say they're Christians on the day of judgment. Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Well, Lord, I, I was just too bashful, and I, I wasn't trying to use this excuse on God. I wasn't, I wasn't far enough into my sanctification, Jesus. Because that's a lot of excuses that we hear nowadays. Well, you know, I'm just not, you know, sanctification is a process. I'm not saying sanctification ain't a process, okay? What I'm saying is we can't use that as an excuse to continue to sin. Amen? We can't do that, and we can't use that as an excuse. What I have to do when I sin, when I mess up, when I fall short, is not go, well, the sanctification process isn't over yet. I have to repent and say, Lord, forgive me, help me, keep conforming me and molding me and shaping me, help me to do better next time. Amen? That's, that's the right attitude. Amen? Not this attitude of, well, you know, we're, we're just not there yet. I know we're not. But I can't move the mark. 
Just because we're not there yet doesn't mean I can pull the mark down here so it's more accommodating to you. I have to keep shooting for the mark. Amen? Paul said, I do want the forgetting those things that are behind me. I press on toward the mark of the high calling. Amen? Gotta, we we got to keep shooting for the mark. We got to be ready. That means it starts with our understanding of sin, understanding who we are, understanding who God is. We've lost that we are serving a holy, righteous, completely perfect God. And none of us can please him on our own. None of us. It takes the born again experience. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit in me to continually conform me to the image of Christ. It takes prayer, the reading of the word. It takes the fellowship of the saints. It takes those things. These are the graces that God has given us to continually conform us into the image of Christ. And he uses the word of God. You know, we, we, nowadays we just kind of tear pages out when we don't like it. But that's not how it's supposed to work. The word of God is supposed to tear things out of you. The word of God is supposed to tear stuff out of you. Continually. Amen. We don't listen to our brothers and sisters in Christ because we go, well, they don't have any right to say anything. Well, sorry, the Bible says something different. Matter of fact, we're obligated, if we love one another, to say something to each other when we see a brother caught in a fault. When we see a brother caught in sin, we have an obligation. The most unloving thing to do would be to allow them to keep going in that direction. Amen? I know it's quiet right now. Praise the Lord. I'm almost done. Somebody say amen. The last thing that I wanted to pull out on here was the fact that Jesus is plainly saying, just like in the, the parable of the ten virgins, you got to remember all of these parables are in context, okay? You gotta take them in the context and how they're written, why they're written, the way they're written. Amen. Parable of the ten virgins: five were ready, five weren't. Parable of the talent: one guy didn't do anything with his, and the rest of them put their talent to use. Amen. Now, they had no idea. They had no idea that they were going to get a reward. Notice that he just said, you know, he gave them talents. He didn't give them a promise when he left that he was going to pay them more when he got back. You understand that? But that's how we view Christianity right now. We, we've got this idea that God gave me this stuff, and if I do enough, I'm going to get some kind of reward. I already have my reward. I have the ultimate reward. That's Christ in me. My hope of glory. My hope of being a, a, a child of God. The only thing that matters is me 
coming back into right relationship with God. That should be your goal, your aim, your life is to live the best life you can for God and to continually work towards Christ. Amen? Not, to, not that you're gaining something in your works. You're working because you've already got the prize. Eternal life. Amen? Now Paul said, Paul said this, he said, we, you got to run like you're wanting to win the prize, right? 1 Corinthians 9, I believe. You got to run like someone that wants to win the prize. Amen? What did he say in that? He said, you know, not that I've attained, but I press on, right? Are we completely glorified, sanctified, and saved right now? Because here's the, here's, the, here's the reality that you might need to know. We have been saved from our sin, correct? If you're in Christ, you've been saved from your sin. Right now, we're being saved from our present earthly conditions, right? We're, we're in that process. And one of these days, I will ultimately be saved bodily at the resurrection. Amen? So this understanding of what's happening right now is me being conformed into the image of him who loved me. Amen? That's what Paul said. He said, I am ever being changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God, into the image of him who loved me. Amen? Our goal is to have the right heart and to be ready when the day of the Lord appears. Amen? And all throughout Scripture, it's talked about the day. The great white throne judgment, everybody's going to be there. Why? Because right here in this parable, he said he's going to set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Right? So in heaven, at the last final judgment, when we go to the great white throne judgment, it's going to be just like this. The dead who are in Christ are going to be there, and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be on the left. And those are going to have to give an account of their life and be thrown into everlasting darkness. Everlasting fire, what, what do they call it? Not hell, but what? The lake of fire, right? Where the worm doesn't die, amen? Eternal punishment. You know, a lot of people don't even believe in that no more. They're taking hell right out of the Bible. Even though Jesus preached more about hell than he did heaven. Ever. He warned against hell more than he preached about heaven. But they want to take it out of there because it's uncomfortable. Amen? Well, let's stand. I pray that this was a blessing to you. I pray that uh, you understand my heart in speaking this. My goal is that Christians everywhere would do exactly what Paul said. Paul said, let each man examine himself to see if he be in the faith. Amen. What am I examining? Jesus said, you'll know a tree by their fruit. Matthew 7. So tonight, I want you to examine your fruit. 
Examine your relationship with God. Have you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you, has God the Father come and revealed who Christ is to you? Are you born again? If not, I am here tonight to implore you to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that even in these last times, God, that we can walk in full and complete trust in who you are and what you're doing in us, what you're doing through us, and what you will do for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that has listened to this message, God, that does not know you, Lord, that you would draw them, that you would woo them, that you would give them your spirit, that you would enlighten them, awaken them, that they would come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that they would believe the gospel and be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.